morning, everyone. I'll stand and sing our song of praise. Blessed be your name. So we thank you for joining in and being with us and, uh, and worshiping with us. And so we trust that our the hearts will be refreshed, uh, our minds uh, focused, and our heart beat in line with God's. How about that? As we worship today and, and uh, understand his care and his provision as well. So we uh, recognize that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you give us opportunity this morning to once again gather together. Uh, to be able to focus together, whether we're at home, whether we're uh, in this very place, to be able to worship and be in tune together in, in mind and heart. And we thank you that you are a God of, of grace and a God of love, but also we recognize that you are majestic and holy, and we reverence your name, and we lift you up, and we glorify who you are. And we thank you as you are our Father, and you are Lord of our life. And we just want to say we love you and we honor you today. In your name that we pray. Amen.
Well, guys, I want to bring a message this morning that's entitled, uh, God Answers Prayer. And I, I know that if I was to ask you, each and every one, that had opportunity to hear the answer, I'm sure you would affirm that you believe that God answers prayer, that you've seen it, you've witnessed it, uh, you've been, you may be the product of, or your family, or the recipient of, uh, and yet we realize the power and the uniqueness of prayer. And one of the questions we ask is, how important is prayer in the life of the believer? And, you know, I guess the way you answer that question is, how important is water to your body? You know what I'm saying? And so when you think about the necessities of life that keep you alive physically, there are certain areas that keep us alive spiritually. And prayer is one of those facets of beauty and calls us forth to enter into the throne room of God, as I call it, and, and have conversation with the creator of this world who created life and created this universe and created everything that you and I see around us including the sun and the moon, uh, the trees, the grass, on and on, the oceans, the mountains. And we're talking personally to one who has created all this beauty. And when we conversate with God, if that's true word, have conversation with him, something transpires between our heart and his. Now, God is not changed by the fact that we call him Abba, Father. But we are changed each time we reverence his name and we direct our heart and our mind heavenward towards him. Something happens in that transition or transaction of conversation that can impact our life and change us for that day forward when we ask him and say father I request of you if you could answer this specific request whatever it is and then all of a sudden a day a week a month or a year or many years go by and that prayer is answered what happens we go back to that moment where we made the request and we recall how holy it is when God answers prayer. 23 years, I prayed for my father to come to know God, to surrender his life to the Lord God. And as he was dying in NHC there in Garden City, I really thought, God, this prayer is not going to be answered because he's in a condition that does not, is not conducive enough mentally to understand relationship to God. And yet, in the wee hours of the morning, my sister calls me as he's on his deathbed and all he could ask was, I need help. I need help. But he could not find the answer from my mom, and he could not find the answer from my sister. And having conversation with him throughout the years, I knew at that point what his cry for help was all about. And we were able to help him to understand relationship to God on his dying bed, and one hour later, he breathed his last. And I remember that when I became a Christian and I was doing what at that time going through some discipleship material and my pastor handed it to me and it was survival kit for new Christians. It still exists today, but it's not one I think many people use like they used to. And it was 12 weeks of study that you went through and it taught you how to read scripture, to journal and log, to 
write out your prayers, to think about Scripture with questions asked, and write out answers to those questions as you find answers uh, as you read God's Word. It discipled you. My first request that I put down in that survival kit for new Christians is it says, list one prayer that you would like to see answered. Prayer for my father, salvation. 23 years later, that prayer was answered. And I remember going back, and when it was answered, I could, I could vividly see me sitting on the edge of my bed with a pen in hand and a piece of paper writing out that request. It was a flashback. It's prayer. And when he does, something happens. Not that it changes God, but it affects who we are. It changes the person, the makeup, the character, the very being, the very excitement and the joy of who we are as a people who belong to God. Well, I want to look at a scripture in Exodus chapter 32 in verses 7 through 14. In Exodus chapter 32 in 7 through 14, it is the passage of scripture where Moses has been called up to the mountain. And there on that mountain, he is being detained by God. And as a result, the people get impatient waiting on the return of Moses. And in their impatience, they begin to erect a golden image. And as a result of that golden image, something begins to take place between their understanding of who God is and where they fit into the economy of this kingdom of God. And Moses intercedes for the people. And this is what's recorded in Exodus 32, verse 7 through 14. But I want to go back and just read the context of verse 1 of 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, and he said to him, Come, make us a god who will go before us because this Moses the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Impatience, isn't it? In verse 7, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for the people you have brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them and they have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone. This is what, this is what the Lord says. Leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can and can will destroy them and then I'll make you into a great nation. So he basically says, leave my presence, Moses. Let me deal with the very hard decision of dealing with these people. And you almost get as if Moses turns around with his head tucked down thinking, oh my, Whatever's happened down below, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's like, it's like someone you have in conversation with someone, and you're in deep conversation, and they have the last word. And you walk away, and you turn around and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard what you just said. Wait just a second. Let me say one other thing. And that's what Moses does. He says, Lord... Is it possible? You continue reading on. He, he said, but Moses interceded with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? 
And you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand. Why should the Egyptians say we brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your great anger. Change your mind about this disaster plan for your people. Remember that you swore to your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, by yourself and declared to them, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised and they will inherit it forever. And this is the key. So the Lord changed his mind about the disaster. And he said that he would bring upon his people it's interesting. Something happens in the transition or transaction of prayer between Moses and God. And it's almost as if God says before Moses, you know, some interpret this that, that God never changed his mind, that, that he was putting Moses out there to see how much faith that he had in God and what God can do. There's many interpretations of God changing his mind, and I'm not going to get into that theological debate. But the key is something happens that causes God to say to Moses, I hear you and I answer your, your request. And Moses then leaves a changed individual but empowered for a new journey. And so do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe that when you pray, the angels of heaven become silent and God hears you? Do you believe that God will work in spite of even some of our, our ignorance of our prayers because we may be praying too shallow of faith, but yet God responds and the power of prayer is key. Our text today is a clear example of the power of prayer. We can observe and talk about the impatience that obviously was there of the Israelites, the sins that were born out of that impatience by the erecting of the golden calf. We see how they constructed that idol and yet how they bowed down and worshipped that idol in what we term as false worship. We pick up this story in chapter 32 with the principal text that we just read where we find that God is angered and the Israelites are, have, have no clue of the anger of God, but Moses does. Moses acting, stepping in, standing in the gap, believing in the conversation that he has with God is going to change the outcome. He has enough faith to believe that what he's getting ready to ask of God, God is going to answer that and he's going to respond to Moses. There were times when, as a child, when my father said to me, wait till we get home. <laughs> We're going to deal with this problem when we get home. And that next hour or two were agonizing, wondering how bad it was going to be when I got home. It's almost as if Moses says, Daddy, is there any way that you can hold back your discipline and you can be a, a bit gentle here and not cast forth that anger against the people? And so we see where God relents to not destroy his people and the scripture says that God changes his mind from the punishment that he threatened against Israel. So I want us to notice a few things, four truths about God in this passage based on the scripture that we just read. First of all, in verse 7 of Exodus 32, as you go back and look at that, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. That's nice if it would just end right there. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Benji. God spoke to Jeff. God spoke to Cindy. God spoke to Eric. You know, it sounds nice, doesn't it? But then we wonder, what did he speak? 
Go down at once, exclamation point. It's a, it's a command, go down at once, Moses. Leave me at once. For your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. Notice that God is aware of everything. Moses and God are totally separate from the people down at the base of the mountain. But God knew all that was happening. He knows everything. The comforting news is that he does know everything about your life. He does know everything about what you're thinking and getting ready to do. He knows about those things, good and bad. He, he rejoices in the good, and yet he, he, he frowns at the, at the bad. He knows all those things. God makes it very clear that nothing escapes the seeing eyes of God or the hearing ears of God. Nothing is beyond the scope of his knowledge. In reality, we know that God knew what Israel was going to do, so the golden calf becomes no surprise to him, as verse 7 indicates. Now, you say, well, that's, that's horrifying knowing that God knows everything. No, don't think of it from the negative. Think of it from the positive. That God does know everything. He understands your emotions. He understands your, your task. He understands your responsibilities. He understands your marriage. He understands your children. He understands the frightening moments that we have in life. He understands the unexpected. He understands the fear. And yet God doesn't just remove us completely and say, I'm tired of dealing with the junk of your life. No, he's still involved. And he still waits for us to cry out to him. The positive is God knows all about us and it does not cause him to relent in the gift of his salvation that he's given you and me. God is aware of everything going on. Monty, our treasurer, come up to me a few moments ago and told me about uh, Suzette Brazel. Suzette and Dennis are heading to Nashville in search of their daughter, Tammy. She went on a trip yesterday in a four-wheeler adventure and hasn't returned. And, you know, and I say this and I do it on purpose online so that others can begin to pray for their daughter and for them as they face the unexpected. But God is aware of everything. He understands everything around us in life. He understands that when things go awry and things are good, that he understands that when, when we are in the jubilant celebration or the acclamation of our faith being strong, as well as the times of doubt and weakness. God is aware of all those things, as he was aware of everything Israel was doing. Second of all, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 10, through verse 10, is obviously an indication that God is a jealous God. Now, when you think of jealousy, you think of that which is negative, like a boyfriend and a girlfriend become jealous of one another if they're talking to another boy or girl. That's not the jealousy we're talking about because that's the jealousy that leads to sin. We're talking about a different jealousy here. And the understanding is that God is singular, that God expects us to be allegiant to only one, and he is jealous from that standpoint. He's very possessive over his people, and he expects no other form of worship other than Jehovah God, Elohim, the great I am. He expects no one else but him. So God is a jealous God. In 8 verse 10 it says again, they quickly turn from the way I commanded them. The way that God has commanded them that we'll look at in just a moment in Exodus chapter 20 is the fact that he says, I am your God and there should be no other gods before me. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, you understand exactly <clears throat> what is being expected of them. He says, I am the Lord your God, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. 
Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sins to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Right there in Exodus chapter 20. The very tablets that Moses has that's now being recorded here in Exodus chapter 32 of that experience, the very moment God is giving them those Ten Commandments, they are veering from the, the singleness of focus. God is a jealous God. It's clear that He does not tolerate the unloyal life and heart. He wanted all their devotion. He would not share it. He does not want to share that devotion with anyone. He wants us to be singularly focused. My heart breaks this very hour over one of my friends who's there in Tideland's Hospital on his deathbed. A part of our church, kind of in and out, a drifter of Nathan West. One I've been friends with for many years and now is in a disease situation that is not expected to make it. And knowing his heart and knowing where he's come from and all the struggles he's had and the things that he has shined well in, the things that he has not, you know, I, I, it, goes, it goes back to what, one thing that I remember talking to him about about probably a year ago when we ran into each other at Harbor Freight, the tool store right down the road. And we were talking about the singleness of purpose and the loyalty that a person has to one tool. And he said, this reminds me of the loyalty that I should have towards God. That's a great insight, Nathan. We miss you, buddy. We want to see you back at church. We want to see your family. We want to see your boys. God is a jealous God. He wants our devotion, and he wants it in singular a purpose. Now, we live in a day and time where we can have a lot of things at our disposal, I included. And we can enjoy many a thing. There's nothing wrong with the enjoyments and the leisures and the pleasures of life. But when those leisures and pleasures become the control of our life, then it becomes a problem because we're basically erecting our own image and it's taken our devotion and allegiance away from who God is. And so we're constantly having to balance the scale all throughout our lifetime from the moment we, we understand relationship and salvation of God to the moment we breathe our last. We're constantly having to balance the scale to make sure that we are okay in our singleness of purpose and loyalty. A third truth about God based on the Scripture is the great news that God is sovereign. And you find that in verses 11 through 14, where Moses intercedes with the Lord. The Lord's made up his mind, and then he changes that after having conversation with Moses. There, here in this passage, we read, and we want to focus on the fact of where it says that God changes his mind but this, and, it, and it does send us off into thinking in, in trying to have absoluteness about this theological discussion. But the plain reading of the text tells us that God changed his mind for what he was about to do to Israel. And to me, it's a period. I don't have to worry about its explanation. I just have to trust in the literal word that's there. That something happened and it's because if you go into chapter 33, it's where Moses has a tent meeting with God and they become face to face and the scripture says, as a friend to a friend. So ch chapter 32 is the prelude to what's getting ready to happen in chapter 33 of where God and Moses have wonderful union together. 
all through prayer. Nothing else but through prayer and intercession and conversation where the heart is poured out before God. Why is that? Because Moses believes that God is sovereign. Moses believes that God can do anything that he wants to do. He can burn his anger against the people and wipe off the entire nation of Israel. He knows that. That's why he says to him, God, if it's possible, will you change your mind? Will you not put out that anger? Will you give me opportunity to work with these people? Will you give me opportunity to rise up a nation who follow you and who will be devoted to you, who will be loyal to you, who will repent from their sin and serve you for the rest of their life? He knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God controls everything. Folks, when we pray to God, you've got to grasp in your mind that you're praying to the all-sovereign God as He is that you realize that everything that you're saying to God, He hears you, and He has the capability and the inkling of of a bat of an eye to respond to that request. God Himself brings the final point home to Moses when He says to him, you know, basically, I will do as you have requested I know you, Moses, and I know your heart, and you're my friend, and you consider me your friend. And because of your heart and love with me, for the sake of the people, I will change my mind. Powerful, isn't it? Prayer is powerful. Not that prayer is all about changing God. That's not the point of the message. In fact, that's dangerous to even go there. The fact is that it changes Moses for the rest of his life. Why do we say that? Fast forward into Exodus chapter 33. And you'll see a tent meeting to where God wrestled with with, or wrestled whatever part of the country you're from. And he had conversation with Moses and and God. and, and, And something happened. And when he come out of that tent, Moses was glowing. He had an ore around him that was shining so bright that it, that it was a new nightlight in the midst of the wilderness. And he was it. The glory of the Lord shone around him and was with him. And the last point is this, is that God answers prayer. Just as the title of the message says, And you notice the characteristic of Moses' prayer and what what we understand about it. First of all, it's very personal. It's a very personal request. That is, it was given within the context of an authentic relationship. While God can answer the prayers of anyone He wants, the only people whose prayers He has promised to hear and answer are those who have relationship with Him. And when we have relationship with holy God, the creator of this world, the sovereign God of everything, the one who is in power and in control, the very one who who has, has the offer of life and death in his hands, when we pray to him, there's relationship that's built. It's a very personal relationship. That's why I get the picture as Moses tucks his head and walks away and he's walking away and he says, no, wait a minute. God, please. I heard what you said. I know you want me to leave you. I know you've given me a command, but I've got one other thing to ask of you. Please, please, please do not put your anger against the people. It is the very people that you have risen up and brought out of slavery for a purpose to give them and grant them the land of promise, to be a people that will be die hard in love with you, who will serve you on the face of this earth and establish a great nation. And it will be a nation that honors you. Wait before you bring your anger. That's very personal. That's very powerful. As he prays, 
Over in John chapter 17, Jesus himself prays. Father, the hour has come in John 17 verse 1. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all the flesh so that he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. In verse 9, I pray for them, praying for the believers. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. He's talking about he's praying for the ones he's in relationship with because they are yours. All my things are yours and yours are mine. I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name so that you have given me the, of that name that you have given me so they may be one as we are one. And in verse 25 of that same chapter, he says, Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I've known you. And these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so the love that you have loved me with may be in them, and I be in them. You know, Jesus is talking about the people who have relationship with him. He's talking about the very ones who love him. He's talking about the ones who have went the extra mile, who have gotten their, their shoes dirty with him. He's talking about the ones who believe that they're looking at sovereign God in the flesh. And it's a personal relationship. Prayer is personal. And it was very personal for Moses. Very personal. And then notice another thing about what Moses says about this prayer that is a prayer time that Moses has with God is that this prayer is not only personal, but it's very purposeful. Maybe, maybe the reason why some of our prayers aren't answered is because we're not specific enough. You know, it's okay to say, Lord, I, I ask that you bless the missionaries around the world. And I ask that you bless those who are sick and those who are afflicted. You know, it's okay to pray that prayer, especially if you don't have in mind an exact specific missionary that you pray for or one whom you're thinking of as sick or someone who you know is afflicted. But there's something about being very purposeful and very specific. Moses prayed very specifically. He says, Lord, you're getting ready to enact your anger against the people. I'm asking you not to put your anger against the people. How more specific could he be? He didn't just say, have mercy on us, Father, and walk away. He says, no. Lord, I'm asking you something very specific and very, you know, very purposeful. He was very intentional. He went to God with a purpose that's weighing heavily on his heart. Now, I'm not saying that the reason why your prayers aren't answered because you're not going specific. That's, please don't hear that. But that sometimes that may be the answer to some of them. That we're not getting personal, I mean, uh, purposeful and very specific in asking for that request. And notice another aspect of this prayer is it becomes very positional. That is, Moses used his position not of authority because he had none, <laughs> as you don't have any, and neither do I when we approach God. But he used the position as being an intercessor. In other words, he, he, he realized that he stood between life and death for someone else. That he stood in the gap that could change the course of an entire nation. That he stood there before God in between a people who were, who were enjoying their sin and forgetting about God. And he stood there 
between the holiness of God and the unholiness of the people. And he stood there fighting those two poles, knowing that the holiness of God is not going to put up with that unholiness and it had to be rectified. It had to be gotten rid of. It had to be dealt with. Moses knew that. And Moses stood there as a shield before his people. And he begs God, God, hold on to your holiness. Let me deal with the unholiness. You have empowered me to be your spokesperson and to lead these people. You have allowed me to become the leader of a nation. Remember, I was called out from the bush and I didn't even know what to say. And you told me not to worry about it. That I'll bring someone else who will be an orger and will, and will speak for you. He said, don't worry about what's going to happen. Just, just take this rod and go. And I'll handle the rest. The very same one who didn't want to be a part of this is the one who now realizes his responsibility as an intercessor. Very positional. And he calls out to God. And he becomes the mediator to go to God on behalf of the people. Maybe we need to change our focus in prayer. To realize that we're not just asking because we want to see an answered prayer. Or we're wanting to see the help happen in someone's life. Maybe we need to look at it from the Moses standpoint. That we forget about ourselves and we focus on God and we intercede. That we battle in prayer. Not battling with God, but we battling with ourselves, and we battle through that prayer and we intercede on behalf of that person. And notice a, a last thing about this prayer is that it becomes a prayer that's very passionate. A prayer that's very passionate, not only positional and, and, and not only you know, very purposeful and very personal, but it's very passionate. We know from verse 32 uh, that, that Moses was willing to have his name blotted out. This is what it says. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, in verse 32 of chapter 32, but if not, please erase my name from the book you have written. You hear that prayer? God, if, if you have to strike me down and take my life and I am no longer in your memory, I will sacrifice myself on behalf of the people. John 17 Jesus says, as he prayed for his people, that they will know you as Father, as we are one. And he began in that prayer, this is eternal life. Jesus knew that he interceded for the, for the people to the Father. That he says that I, my life is going to be the key that pulls the unholiness of the people in the world to become the understanding and becoming holiness unto God. Moses wanted to close the gap. There is a prayer in Ephesians. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, what is the width, 
what is the height and the depth of God's love. To know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now we know if you read on in chapter 32, what happens is that Moses comes down and has to do a very, make a very hard decision. He realized that the men were the leaders of this nation. Not that it was a, women were not important. It's just the world in which they lived. The men were the leaders and everybody else followed. So they were responsible for all of the behaviors of everybody else. They convinced Aaron to melt down all the gold and to erect this golden calf. And Moses gave the orders to the Levites, said, draw your sword and go around and kill every male that you see. 3,000 men died that day. The very one who interceded for the people begins to take the life of everyone there. Why was that? Because Moses knew that it had to become holy once again. And he had to deal with it. And he took the very thing that God was going to do. So you go back to the prayer. Did God really change his mind? No. The anger came out through Moses. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He had a conversation that changed Moses' life. He changed his mind and used Moses as the hand of God. Powerful, isn't it? God is sovereign. He's in control. Moses passionately involved with the people and leading them. And then chapter 33 happens, which is a whole other sermon in itself. And if I go into it much longer, you're probably going to be eating supper here. <laughs> but the holiness of God shows up in the people. And they saw it in the tent meeting that Moses had with God. As a friend to a friend, as Moses continued and went into that tent, he continued to have conversation and consulting with God in that meeting. As Moses had prayer, conversation with the God, as the scripture says, as a man face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. When you go into your tent meeting, whenever that is, in your private time with God, remember you're talking to a friend. A sovereign, powerful, all-encompassing, all-knowing, all-present God, but a friend, face-to-face, -face, having conversation with him. Specifically, asking him what's on your heart and laying it before him. So I draw this message to a close to ask a few questions. Are you doing anything which you think escapes God's attention? Are you slowly but surely drifting away from God? Wandering from that intimacy which you once had with Him. You can get back into fellowship with Him. Very easy. Have you been fooled in believing that prayer doesn't really change things? Don't let anyone or anything steal that most precious resource from you. God hears you, and God answers prayer, and he will answer your prayer. So since we've been talking about prayer, it goes back to this. What is your view of God? Is that view of God limited? Is it limited? Moses knew that it was not limited. He knew his view of God 
was what it needed to be. That's why he had never stopped in his tracks and turned back and addressed God after God said, leave me alone. Moses knew that the view of God was more than what the people understood. And he specifically interceded, talked to God, which is another way of saying he prayed to God and had conversation that would change the course of Israel from that day forward. So who knows? Your one prayer could change the world. It could change an election. It can change a family. It can change a work environment. It can change a child. It can change a disease. It can change your finances. It can change your heart's desire. It can change the sick and the dying. It can change when God answers that prayer. But it will not be answered if you ask not. Ask, knock, seek, approach the throne. I stand at the door, he says, and I knock. And anyone who opens the door, I will come into him and he with me, and we will sup together. That's God saying, him saying he's ready to enter into the human heart. And when that happens, asking, seeking, and knocking, or knocking, asking, seeking, you will find. So who is it that needs you to intercede for them? To help them change their view of God and their relationship. Let's pause for prayer. And let's pray a prayer that we've come to believe in. We prayed together. Interrupted a little bit because of this COVID-19. But returning back to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. If you'll pray with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you that you allow us to have conversation with you to agree together in this beautiful prayer. Inside that prayer are the specific needs that we all have. And we ask that you cleanse us from who we are in the sin of our life to become a people that's clean and holy before you. We thank you that we can call you friend, not only father, but daddy, to realize that we are your children and we're at your mercy. We're at your, your care and your provision. We're at the mercy of all those things of that care and provision that you have for us. We pray for one another. We pray for those around us. We pray specifically for our own personal lives. And we thank you for hearing us. And we thank you for being there, understanding and being our friend. In your name that we pray. Amen. And watch us where we go And teach us to be wise In times when we don't know Let this be our prayer When we 
Lead us to a place. Guide us with your grace to a place where we'll be safe. We pray we'll find our love. We pray we'll find your life. And hold it in our hearts. And hold it in our hearts. As darkness falls each night. As darkness falls each night. Remind us where we are. Remind us where we are. Let this be our prayer. Let this be our prayer. When shadows fill our day. When shadows fill our day. Lead us to a place. Guide us with your grace. Give us faith so we'll be saved. Lead us, Lord. Lead us in your righteousness. Place where 